Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church, and happy birthday or happy anniversary, whichever one you choose to say. Uh, we are just so excited about all the things that God has done in and through this church and in and through the people of this church in the past year. It has been an amazing year. Um, let me just first start by reminding us of who we are as River Rock Bible Church. Our, our vision statement, our mission statement is this, that we would be a family of believers committed to seeing lives change through relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our desire, that we would be a family, that this would be a place where people feel like they are family and that their lives would be changed as they grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ or as they begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our vision statement is this, to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on in that, but let me just break it down real quick. Go into our community. This fulfills the Great Commission. Jesus comes to the disciples after his resurrection, and he says, go. He says, go, and he says, start in your own community, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Georgetown is our Jerusalem, right? We're going to go into our community. And he says, we want to give every man, woman, and child. That means River Rock Bible Church exists for everyone. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what you've struggled with in your life or where, you're, uh, where you've been. We want to be there for you. We want to love you unconditionally and show the love of Christ to you and come alongside you as you walk along that journey and grow in that relationship. Every man, woman, and child, we want to give them repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That means over and over and over again, we want the people around us where we live, work, and play, we want them to have the opportunity to see God's love in us as we love them unconditionally like we just talked about and as we love each other unconditionally within the church, that they would see a body of Christ and they would say there's something different about these people in the way that they love each other, in the way that they serve each other, the way they are able to forgive one another, and there's something different about the way that they love me and I need to know what that is and that difference is Jesus Christ so we want them to see that but we we want them to hear it it's not enough just to live a good life and hope that they ask us about Jesus man we want to be up front and we want to be asking them and engaging them in spiritual conversation where are you how can I help you take some next steps towards God how can I help you take next steps in your relationship we want them to see it. We want them to hear it. We want to give them that opportunity to respond and experience life change. The first life change that we experience is salvation through Jesus Christ. When we put our trust in him, that is a life-changing and life-defining moment. And the second life change that we experience is life transformation. As we grow in that, as we come alongside each other, we grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is and what he's done in our life. And our lives are transformed. And we come alongside one another, whether it's in community group or, or another informal gathering, a men's gathering or a women's gathering, and we're praying for each other and we're encouraging one another, let me come with you as you do this. And out of this, we have our value statement, which is simply this. We've taken what Jesus affirmed as the greatest commandment multiple times. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Two inseparable commands. We've shortened it to this. Love God and love people. It's that simple. That's our desire. And when you put all of this together, we, we say that River Rock Bible Church, we want it to be a place where people can belong, believe, and become. And we want you to belong, feel like you're a part of a family. And as you belong, no matter what's going on in your life or where you've been, we hope that as you belong, that you hear from us and you see from us the reality of Jesus Christ. And that would lead you to believe or help you grow in your belief. 
And that through that, over time, you would then become who God has called you to be. So let me go back to our vision statement to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you some of the things that we've done in the last year as we move towards that vision. We started off this church uh, last September. We launched on September 8th, and here we are a year later. And we have gone into our community. We've gone into our community in a number of ways. We've done some things here in the village, like the, the uh, Halloween festival last year. We had a team of people that came and served, and we had families, uh, gave them the opportunity to paint pumpkins and gave away candy and had fun there. We did the turkey trot in Georgetown this year. We set up a water station and served water to people as they jogged by. The day before Thanksgiving and the day of Thanksgiving, we had a team of people that helped prepare a meal and then helped serve a meal with other churches in the community to people who didn't have a place to go on Thanksgiving. So we helped there. At Christmas time, we did a special offering and a special time where we adopted a needy family here in Georgetown. Believe it or not, there are needy families here in Georgetown. We adopted one and we said, you know what, you guys have a need. Without, without any help, you won't have a Christmas meal and you won't have any Christmas presents under your tree. So we said, let us provide that for you. And as a church, we gave not just a meal and not just presents, but we gave them some supplies to get them through the rest of the year. And we gave them over $1,800 worth of things just from this small little bitty church. We were able to provide a family a Christmas and bless them in that way. Um, in the spring, we went through a series called Generosity, and uh, through that series, we, we talked about honoring God with our time, talents, and treasure, and our testimony, and in the spring, at the end of that series, we had a, a Serve Saturday, where we went to Annunciation Maternity Home, and there were about 30 of us, men, women, and children, that served. We did some, uh, some yard work that they had done there in the flower beds, and you know, back-breaking work, you know, moving dirt, and different things like that, and it was a great time. Uh, then the next day we came on Sunday, we had Give Back Sunday. And in one day, the people of River Rock Bible Church gave over $5,300 that went directly to missions, local and global. It didn't stay here at River Rock. It went directly to missions. That is an amazing thing to see done through such a, a, a young, vibrant congregation. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then at Easter, we got to serve at... Uh, uh, the Easter egg hunt here in the village. We've done movie in the park. We've just done so many things to go into our community. And I know that some of you are here because of the faithfulness of, of people of River Rock Bible Church going into their community. But it wasn't just that we went into our community as a church. It was the faithfulness of the individual people of River Rock Bible Church on their knees every single day praying for the people where they live, work, and play, praying for their neighbors, praying for their coworkers, praying for the people that are on their kids' sports teams. And we come together, and because of that faithfulness, we, this last year, this last summer, just a few months ago, we hosted five backyard Bible clubs with, that had about 67 kids that attended. And of those 67, we had seven that put their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time this summer. All in all, for this past year, we saw 11 men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ for the first time because of the faithfulness of the people of River Rock Bible Church proclaiming the gospel, letting people see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we got to celebrate baptism with 10 people who said, not only am I trusting in Jesus Christ, but I want to follow him. 10 people. That is awesome. Can we just, I mean, can we just give God a hand and honor him for all the stuff that he has done? God is so good. None of this would happen without God's goodness.
Yes, I do believe that God has honored the faithfulness of the people, but none of this would happen without God. He alone has given us success, and we need to remember that at all times. And I pray that, that he would allow us to see more and more success like this. Think with me just for a minute. Dream with me just for a minute. Think, uh, last September we started with just 24 adults that were committed to coming on Sunday morning. 24 who said, you know what, I'm going to be there every Sunday. I'm going to serve in the ministries. And they're kids, and there were probably about 20 of them, almost as many kids as we had adults. So we started with 24 adults. In our first year of ministry, in our, in our Sunday morning services, in our community groups, we've averaged about 65 adults on Sunday mornings and in, in, in our community groups, and about 32 kids, right? So we've essentially almost tripled in size in one year. Imagine what God could do if, if we were to double in size. Imagine what kind of impact we could make in our Jerusalem, here in Georgetown, in our community, if we were to double in size the next year. And I don't just mean that we'd be 120 people and we could say, yay, we've got a big, bigger congregation than we did last year. But, but think about this. We had 11 people who trusted Christ. If we were to double in size and get to 130, that would be 65 new people coming on Sunday morning and in community groups. What if 22 of those were people who'd put their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time that year? How awesome would that be that we would see that many people putting their faith in Jesus Christ and growing in relationship with him? That is our desire, that we could see those people come to faith in Jesus Christ and that God would allow us to continue to grow as River Rock Bible Church as we see lives changed. So this last year, our theme was stewardship. And we talked um, a lot about different different areas of our life where God has called us to be stewards. And really what we said, stewardship, is this, that when we recognize that God is the owner of everything and we are his managers, right? We manage everything that God has given us. It's our job to honor him with that. And so we, we focused on stewardship for this past year. And I have to say, man, it has been such a blessing to see that, to see how faithful the River Rock Bible Church has been and how faithful the people of River Rock Bible Church have been in stewarding their time, talents, treasure, and testimony in this past year. It's awesome. And the question is, where do we go from here? How do we move forward? Well, as the elders sat down and we prayed about that, we, we kind of prayed through, okay, God, where are you leading us to? Uh, wh- what is it that you would have us do? And we came up with this as our theme for the next year, redefining relationships. And you'll see the re in the redefining is in parentheses. And we did that on purpose because there are some people who will come to River Rock Bible Church in the next year that as we look at the various relationships in our life, as we think about our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with our family, people at work, our community, our, our stuff, our possessions and our money, as we think about all those relationships, there are people who are coming who have never looked into God's word and allowed God's word to define how they engage in those relationships. So for them, for the very first time, they'll be defining those relationships. And you know what? There may be some of you here who have never really given a whole lot of thought as to, you know, what does scripture say about how I engage in my work relationships? What does scripture say about how I engage myself, like how I interact with myself. Who am I? What is my identity? And then there are other people who, maybe you thought about this, but it's been a while since you came, came back to it and said, okay, you know what? I, I thought about what it meant to be a dad when my kids were little bitty, but now they're teenagers. And I know that God's word hasn't changed, but maybe there's some new insight into my relationship with my teenage kids. And I, maybe I need to redefine that a little bit in how I engage them and, and lead them as they grow older. Uh, maybe when you, when you first got married, you didn't have kids. 
and now you have kids. And so you need to think through, okay, how do I redefine my marriage now that there's this new factor of kids or new job or new workplace that I'm in? How do I, how do I redefine that? What does God's word have to say? His principles never change. Our life situations do. And so we want to continually come back to God's word and see what it has to say and let that redefine all of our relationships in our life. So that's where we're going. In fact, we're going to start next week by going through the book of Ephesians. We'll be about a 10-week study through the book of Ephesians, and we'll be looking at our identity. What does Scripture have to say about our identity? Who are we? Who does God see us as? And we're going to start there next week. But this week, we'll be in Romans chapter 12. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of background. We're going to be looking mainly at verses 1 and 2 this morning. And just so you know, when Paul writes a letter, this, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And when he writes a letter, generally, the first half of the letter is doctrine. He's spelling it out. Okay, here's what Scripture says here's what happened, here's what is the truth. And then the second half of the letter, he spends using uh, to explain the practical application of that. Okay, because of all this truth over here, here's how it should affect how you live. So chapters 1 through 11, Paul has spent explaining doctrine, and the main doctrine that he focuses on is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Okay, what is that? That's a big word, justification. What Paul says is essentially this. It means that justification means that God views us as being in right relationship with him. And so Paul explains in early on in Romans, he explains that every single one of us is a sinner. You know, if I'm reading this from, from Romans, like first century Roman getting this, I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm glad that, that God tells me that I'm a sinner, but I, I don't really need God to tell me I'm a sinner. I kind of know it on my own, right? And I hope we can all acknowledge on our own that, yes, I've messed up. I've sinned. But Paul goes on and he explains that because of our sin, we deserve death. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, a separation from God for all eternity. That's Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but he goes on, Romans 5, 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God was not satisfied to, to let us be separated from him for all eternity, and since we are dead in our sin, there's nothing we could do to earn God's favor. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. And it's when we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as Paul explains, when we believe, when we have faith alone in Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead, then we are saved. Our sins are forgiven and we are justified. We're declared to have a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Jesus did. So Paul spent 11 chapters explaining that doctrine, that we're saved. Our sins are forgiven, and we have right relationship with God simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. That's been his main point up to this point. And now in chapter 12 through chapter 16, he goes on to explain what is the practical application of that. So let's start in chapter 12, verse 1. This is the turning point. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And there's a lot going on in this. Uh, let's go back just to verse 1. Let's start there. 
Paul starts by saying, in view of God's mercy, and, and here's the point that I want us to take away from this, is that relationship with God redefines all other relationships. So as we begin this year thinking about redefining relationships, we have to recognize that when we are living in relationship with God, that that automatically redefines all of our other relationships. That one relationship redefines how we view all the other relationships. Now we see this in the very first verse. Paul says, in view of God's mercy. Right, so what is God's mercy? Mercy is simply us getting something that we, we don't deserve. God is, uh, that's grace. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? So what did we deserve because of our sin? We deserved death. But what does God give us? He gives us life through his son, Jesus Christ, right? He withholds judgment on us when we put our trust in him. And so Paul says, in view of God's mercy, and that covers all of chapters 11 through 1. He says, in view of this, everything that I've said, in view of God's mercy. And he goes on and he says, because of that, here's what's, what's supposed to happen. So Paul has just laid out a motivation, right? That is our motivation for change. That is our motivation for redefining these relationships is that relationship with God that begins by faith in Jesus Christ, right? So think about this. Why do people um, lose weight? I mean, do people just wake up and say, you know what, um, I'm kind of bored today. I think I'm just going to go to the gym and start buying a bunch of vegetables and eating healthy. It seems like a reasonable thing to do, right? No, people end up losing weight. Usually they have maybe a health scare and a doctor says, hey, you, your, your heart's in trouble. You've you got to lose weight. They have a motivation. Maybe they've got a wedding coming up and they're like, man, I want to look really good on my wedding night for my wife. So I'm going to get in the gym and I'm going to hit it hard. And so you got that motivation. Maybe you're going to a high school reunion and you want to make your ex-girlfriend from 20 years ago jealous of how awesome you look now, right? And so you've got this motivation. And Paul says, This is our motivation. Our motivation for changing, our motivation for living differently is God's mercy demonstrated through Jesus Christ. That's our motivation. And he goes on and he says, here's here's what we have. We have, in view of God's mercy, what we do, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this is kind of a crazy thought to a first century person because when they would think about sacrifice, usually a sacrifice means death. You bring in an animal, it may be living when you walk it in for the altar, but it's not living once that sacrifice is made. And Paul says, no, you're to be a living sacrifice. You're to go on and let everything that you do be a sacrifice, be worship to God. And there's, there's a, another part of this that, that sometimes gets lost in our day, and that's this, that there are two different kinds of uh, sacrifice that are really mentioned in the Old Testament, two main ones. The first is a, a guilt offering, right? A sin sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. So you would bring in an animal when you sin, and you would say, okay, this is going to cover over my sin for a time, right? But we know that Jesus was the ultimate atoning sacrifice. He died once for all. That's it. So what Paul's talking about here, he's not talking about a saving sacrifice. He's not talking about an atoning sacrifice. What Paul has in mind is a thank offering. The second kind of offering that we find in the Old Testament is you can go in and whenever God has done something awesome in your life or you just want to celebrate God, you bring in a sacrifice and you offer it to God and and it's a fellowship offering or a thank offering. You're just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done. 
thank you. I want to be in fellowship with you. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, look, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies, we give God our whole life as a way to say thank you to him. We want to honor him through that. We want him to be the one that we live our lives for. Uh, There's a great quote by C.T. Studd. He was a missionary in the late 1800s to Africa, one of the first to go to Africa. And he said this. He said, if Jesus be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Isn't that an awesome thought? That if Jesus died for me, then nothing that he could ask me to do is too great. He deserves it. He's worthy of that thank offering. Uh, The last part is that he says it's a spiritual act of worship. The word there for spiritual is the Greek word where we get our word logic from. Another way to translate that, and some of your Bibles have this in the footnote, but it says reasonable. This is our reasonable act of worship. This is our reasonable response. Because of God's mercy, we want to live out our thanks to him. That's only reasonable. It makes sense that we would honor him with our lives. This past week, I read a story about a doctor, he's an oncologist, who was working with a little girl that had brain cancer. And he had the, the horrible uh, experience of having to be the one who told her parents that their four-year-old little girl has a massive brain cancer. And he said, in this article, he said, the dad's response, through tears, his only question was, will I ever walk my little girl down the aisle? And the doctor said, I will do everything in my power to make sure that happens. And so after surgery and treatment, this little girl comes in for a screening and she's clear. She's clear. And the doctor told the dad, he said, make me this one promise that when she gets married, I get an invitation. Now, that dad has a couple options at this point. He can say, no thanks, doc, we're done here. And, and that girl, is her, her life is still saved. But is that any way to say thank you? And I love what the dad says. The dad says, not only are you going to get an invitation, I want you to walk her down the aisle. He says, man, you have done so much. You've given your life for me. It's not enough for you to just be there. I want you to take over. I want you to have this special honor. And it's the same thing for us in Jesus Christ when we say, God, you died in my place for my sin, so I want to give you my whole life. I want to show my thanks for that, right? So we have that taking place here, that we, our reasonable response to God because of his mercy is to say thank you and to live a life that says thank you, to honor him with that. Um, I love this idea. Paul says that we're to be a living sacrifice, and we kind of talked about this. I heard someone once say that we need to live our life on the altar, right? The, the Old Testament, they'd bring sacrifices in. They'd sacrifice it on the altar. It would stay there. It was dead. It wouldn't move, but he says we need to live life on the altar, and We have to be careful that as we're living our life on the altar that we don't at times crawl off the altar. See what I'm saying? Sometimes we we start going a different direction and we start crawling off the altar. And that's where Paul goes next in in verse 2 of chapter 12. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what I want us to remember from this is that redefined relationships happen through life transformation, right? We talked about this in our vision and mission statement that we we talk about two different 
types of life transformation, life change that take place here. One is the life change of salvation. The moment you put your trust in Christ, your life is changed. That's what we just talked about. When you start that relationship with God, it redefines everything in your life, all your relationships. The second life change that that we talk about is life transformation. As you come into the body of Christ, as you come into the church, and you have either your community group or a men's group, a discipleship group that comes around you and says, walk with us through this, let us encourage you through this, then your life is changed as you start looking into the word and you understand more and more about what it says on how to, to live your life and how to live that life of thanks to God. Right, that's what we're talking about here. But that only comes when Paul says this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so the first part of this is that we have to not be conformed. That word conformed means to be shaped to a pattern, right? It's, it's actually where we get our word schematic. When you have a schematic, you're, you're working something, shaping it towards the pattern that's on the paper. And Paul says, don't be conformed, don't be shaped by the pattern of this world. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. What is the pattern of this world? Well, what we need to understand is this. The pattern of this world is contrary to God's pattern, to God's design and God's desire, Right? And we'll talk about that in just a second. But Paul says, instead of being conformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the mind is this. Paul doesn't mean just your brain. He means your entire mindset. That's what's in view here. He means your thoughts, your attitudes, and your feelings. And out of that, your actions. Right? Because what I believe determines how I behave. Does that make sense? So if I believe that eating good food is good for me, then that's going to determine how I behave, right? If, if I believe that uh, going to the gym, working out, and eating right is going to help me lose weight, then what am I going to do? I'm going to eat right, go to the gym, and work out. If I believe that smoking is bad for me, then I probably won't smoke, right? So what I believe changes how I behave. And what Paul is saying is we've got to change the way that we think. We've got to let our minds be transformed. The, the great thing about this word, it doesn't come across in the English, but literally it says, be continually transformed, like ongoing. That means none of us has arrived. None of us has, gets to a point where we can say, you know what, my life has been transformed enough, I can just sit back and relax and live the rest of my life. We never get to that point. That's why we continually need to be looking into God's word to redefine all of our relationships, to redefine our thinking about every relationship that we have. And then, I love this, it's a, it's a passive verb, right? That means that we're not the ones doing the transforming, but God is. We have to let ourselves be transformed by God. Uh, there's a story of a ship captain who uh, is traveling through some thick fog, and he sees this light ahead, and he tells the radio operator, he says, radio that, that light and tell them to change their course, alter their course 10 degrees south. So he gets on the radio and he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. Immediately he gets a response back and it says, alter your course 10 degrees north. And the captain's furious. Man, he's the captain of a battleship. How dare someone give him an order? And so he runs over to that radio and he picks it up and he says, this is the captain, alter your course 10 degrees south. And he gets a radio back immediately. Alter your course 10 degrees north. This is Seaman Third Class Jones. Man, the captain is furious at this point. He can't believe someone who does not outrank him would tell him how to run his ship. 
And so he picks up and he says, alter your course 10 degrees south. This is the captain of the battleship. He's thinking, oh, I got him now. I'm a battleship. I'll blow him out of the water. And he gets a radio back. Alter your course 10 degrees north. This is a lighthouse. Sometimes we want to feel like that captain. We think we're in control. We're the biggest, baddest one in our own life. But what we need to realize is that there is a lighthouse. There is the light of the world who has spoken into our life and told us how to live. And we need to submit to that. We have to be willing to submit to that. God doesn't come down into our lives and say, okay, now I got you. Now I'm going to force you to do this. He doesn't do that to us. He wants it to be a thank offering. He wants it to be something that comes out of submission to him voluntarily. So he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does it mean to be transformed versus conformed, right? Conformed to the pattern of this world being tr- versus being transformed by God. Well, the pattern of this world says when your house starts looking bad, you don't like your kitchen, you don't like something in your house, what do you do? You trade it in for a new one, right? God says, I want you to learn the secret of being content. The world says, you know what? My car is is three years old. It's time for a new one. God says, no, I want you to be a good steward of what I've already given you. The world says, you know what? When uh, your spouse gets a few extra miles on them, you get to trade them in for a new one. God says, no, what, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's different, being transformed versus being conformed. We need to let our minds be transformed to God and not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't crawl off the altar. Don't make the mistake of crawling off the altar by being conformed to this world. Let your mind be transformed. Lastly, it says this. It says, test, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What you need to understand about that last section, good, pleasing, and perfect will, that's not talking, that's not describing God's will, although those are all accurate. These are actually nouns that, that are saying God's will itself is good, good for us, right? And it's good when we do his will. It is pleasing to God when we do his will. And perfect, that word perfect means complete. That means when we're in Jesus Christ, when our lives are transformed and we're living according to his will, our lives are complete. We may not have everything we want, but we will have everything we need. And I love the story of of the Israelites in the desert, 40 years, and it says that their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out and they had uh, manna and quail every single day for 40 years. God provided for them, right? If we will just walk in the path that God has laid out for us, we'll find that, that we'll have everything we need. We may not have everything we want, but we'll have everything we need. And it says this. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. That testing is simply this, that we're able to discern it. We're able to look into God's word and say, God, what is your will for me in this relationship? How would you have me engage this person at work? How would you have me engage my wife or my neighbor? How would you have me engage with my money? What is your desire? And then it says, you'll be able to approve it. That, that's a weird word. I mean, who thinks about, well, God's, God's will in our life needs our approval, right? That's kind of a weird thought. He doesn't need our approval. What that means is this, that, that we will begin to desire it as our own. That what God says is good, what God says is pleasing, and what God says is perfect, we will then recognize and desire and crave for our own. Um, to use that same illustration about being healthy, you know, if you, if you eat a lot of junk food, what do you crave? junk food, right? But you do a 24-day or 30-day cleanse or whatever, and they have you eating 
lean meat and chicken and healthy stuff all the time, what do you start to crave? Fruits, vegetables, healthy food, right? So the more we submit ourselves to God's will, the more we will crave it. The more we let ourselves be conformed to the world, the more we're going to crave that. Let's be transformed and not conformed. Um, I have this clip that I'd love for us to, to watch, and it's, uh, it's from Les Mis. You may have read the book by Victor Hugo or seen the musical or most recently the movie, and uh, if you're not familiar with it, this is a scene with the main character, one of the main characters, Jean Valjean, who's a criminal. He's been in prison almost his whole life. He's just always been running, been in trouble with the law, and he gets out, but he's got to wear uh, um, clothing. He's got a, a mark that says, hey, I've been in prison. Everyone knows what his past is, and he just can't escape it. He keeps finding himself in more and more and more trouble. And then one night he ends up at a church when it's cold and snowing. The bishop welcomes him in, and he ends up stealing from the bishop. And he gets caught, and this is what happens. Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. You had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. The bishop extends mercy to Jean Valjean. From that moment on, if you're not familiar with the rest of the story, his life is changed. He begins living in a different way. It changed who he was. That experience with mercy changed who he was. And it changed the way he related to other people. The same thing. It's a beautiful picture of what ought to happen to each and every one of us when we recognize the reality of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we put our faith in that. When we experience God's mercy, it ought to redefine everything about us. Not only that, but it ought to, it ought to help us experience that transformation. Man, if, if you haven't seen that movie or read the book, I encourage you to do so. It's a great picture of God's mercy and what happens when someone truly encounters mercy. Their lives are changed and it redefines everything about them. That's our desire this year. As we go forward, we want to continually look into God's word and see what does it say? How, what is my response because of God's mercy? How am I going to let it redefine me and transform my life? That's our desire. And let me just say this. I, I want to tell you, uh, we said River Rock Bible Church is a place where people belong, believe, become. As we go through this next year, you're going to be challenged uh, in a, on a number of things. As you're rethinking it, you're going to be looking into God's word and you're going to say, I just don't like that. That is hard. I don't want to do that. And let me tell you, there is something about having a group of people around you that you're discussing these things with, that you're praying through these things with. So I've got to encourage you again, get into a community group. Do life with another group of people who are they're going to be there with you to walk through it. And you can be there with them to walk through it. The next is believe. Man, get into God's word daily. Open up the scriptures and see what it says. When you're facing a, a tough time, get on your knees and say, God, show me 
what your word has to say. Show me what you would do. Help me, help me to discern your will, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And lastly, as we do that, we will become the people that God has created us to be. And as we do that and we go into our community, the world will see a difference. And we'll begin to make more and more impact, see more and more lives transformed here in Georgetown. I just want to close by reading the rest of Romans. Uh, I want to read this as a benediction and as a charge to us for the next year. The Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3 and following, some of these verses, it says this. This is our benediction. This is our charge before Stephen comes and leads us in our last song. Think through this over the next year. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless. Do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be over do not overcome be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Talk about some redefined relationships. That is our charge for this next year. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you and we thank you that your son Jesus Christ allows us to have a new relationship with you, that we're declared right and that we can rest knowing that we will spend eternity with you through our faith in him. And Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to submit our will to you, that every day we would be transformed by your word, by your power, and that we would live our lives in a way that, that demonstrate thankfulness that would be attracting those who have yet to put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, to you. We pray for your continued favor through this year, and we give you all the honor and glory for what we've seen done. And we look forward to seeing you do more here in Georgetown and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.